This program is brought to you by Rosie the Riveter Trust, the official nonprofit sponsor of Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historic Park, located in Richmond, California. Rosie the Riveter Trust supports the National Park's public education programs and the historic preservation of the World War II Homefront, including stories from real Rosies who inspire that we can do it spirit that initiated the still ongoing transformation of the American workplace to one of inclusion, diversity, and equity. Support the Trust's mission of equality and empowerment and purchase official Rosie gear by visiting rosytheriveter.org forward slash shop. Enter the promo code FIXSKIN at checkout to receive a 10% discount. I love the heat. I love wearing the leather. I love getting dirty. Uh, I, I love using recycled metal, like finding, th- like looking through the trash or a scrap bin and then just finding a cool thing. And then from there, instead of starting on paper, starting from this like weird piece that I found and then making something for my house. So I definitely like the diversity in industrial art and that's what drew me to it originally. You're listening to Thick Skin, and I'm your host, Alicia Crawford. This is a podcast about women, transgender, and non-gender conforming people working in the skilled trades. In this episode, I'm talking with Jazzy. She's a welder and an industrial artist, an advocate and an educator. In her early 20s, Jazzy has already proudly shattered the long-held stereotypes of welders and cannot wait to fulfill her big welding dream. I'm here today with Jazzy. Hi, Jazzy. Hi, and thank you for having me on your podcast. (laughs) I'm so excited. This is awesome. (laughs) So tell me where you are today, Jazzy. I'm currently in Oakland, California, um, where I work and reside. What is your origin story? How did you get sparked to work with metal and fire? What happened? I love the word sparked with it. It's very, very cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm originally from Oakland. And how I started with welding, I didn't even know what it was when I first got a scholarship to a class. So the crucible had this like scholarship program and I qualified being a low income black local from Oakland and I got a scholarship and I ended up in arc welding and I was the only girl and I was like 13 and it was really scary, <laughs> but also wow. 13. <laughs> yeah, I was super, I was a baby. <laughs> so, I mean, I had a great teacher and it was all just for art. And I was very enthusiastic about it. I love getting my hands dirty and just kind of like coming up with whatever in the class period. And from there on, I got more scholarships at the Crucible, specifically towards welding. I got the choice of glass blowing or ceramics and I stuck with metal. And from there, I um, continued with uh, internship and then eventually got promoted to teaching at the Crucible when I was 19. Wow. Um, I had my first class. Once I was put in a teaching position, 
I definitely got more inspired to like make it a career artistically mainly. I also like in the recent years have been more involved with fabrication of tables and interior design and it's kind of like an endless scope of what you can do with that craft skill and what you can mix it with, like wood or glass. And yeah, I mean, that's like kind of my story, scholarship, kid teaching. And now I'm like trying to start my own business independently with my own projects and get that going at some, some point. I asked her who or what is influencing her work right now. Whenever I work on something, there's always an issue I come across that I have to solve. And it's, you know, like putting the pieces together to a puzzle that is probably my favorite part and then seeing the outcome of what I'm doing. The challenge of integrating creativity with physics and engineering to me is like always going to keep you on your toes. You, you'll design it one way and they're like, wait, what if the wind comes from this direction? Or, or somebody bumps into it, you know, like balance and, and form, structure and beauty, um, all these things that go into creating like an organic, safe and structural, useful piece. Something that influences me is definitely a lot of artists in my sphere. There's this one uh, female blacksmith that I admire quite a bit, and I was able to be her intern for half a year. Her name's Celeste Flores. She's great. Seeing her progress as an artist and a businesswoman just evolved so much since I was a kid. And um, working under her was like a great example for me of how to um, handle my business and how to work with different mediums. Sounds like she was a mentor to you. And this is something that I feel is part of the conversation of this project is the idea of mentors in this field um, and in the skilled trades. Tell me a bit about what it was like working with her and how that affected your pathway. Yeah, um, working with Celeste was so easy going in terms of feeling comfortable asking questions. I've had male mentors before, artists who I admire and who taught me a lot, but there was always that kind of wall, especially in the beginning, that I felt, how do I put this into words? <laughs> um, there was a level of respect and understanding that was more present with working with Celeste than other people I've worked with. I felt like a team, although I was her mentee. You know, there was like a level of respect for my craft and what I was doing. And she was just inspiring, delicate, but also really like strong badass lady. <laughs> She's definitely a huge influence of mine, and I continue to follow her work and look forward to working with her in the future. We talked about her coming of age while she was becoming a welder and what she noticed about gender dynamics. It seems the older she got, the more she noticed. It's not something I really noticed when I first started until I was a little bit older and more like self-aware of um, certain dynamics, either in a classroom or when it comes to monies being involved or there's a deadline due or uh, sharing a classroom with another male teacher if we have a big class or something or teaching adult men. That's where I definitely notice like a dynamic difference. The sex is kind of in that industrial setting because there's this 
specific image of what a welder or industrial worker looks like. And it definitely doesn't look like a five foot four little black chick, (laughs) you know, like teaching the class, you know, so sometimes I definitely like come across weird microaggressions or a little faithlessness in my craft and my skill by students or other teachers. Do you have any examples of that that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I've experienced this a lot with teaching adult classes, just giving instruction and then someone, you know, bringing up something they read on Google and then questioning kind of my authority and are you sure? A lot of are you sure? And it's like, well, yes, I am. That's why I'm teaching and that's why you're learning. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. And, and that's, would you say that's mostly from the men? Or is it shared by women as well? The only time it's ever happened to me was from men, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Okay. I, just, I didn't want to um, make any assumptions. I don't want to either, but it just happened that way. <laughs> so what do you do in that moment? And how does that make you feel? And how do you sort of get through that? Generally, I don't take it personally. What I do is when under pressure, just try to keep a cool head And also just hit them back with the facts. I do my homework. I research. I am confident in what I'm saying. Therefore, I'm not really phased by their doubt. I'm always open to like conversation or constructive criticism by other people in my field or who I'm working with. Um, But as a teacher, you kind of have to take that role of being like, I am the head of the class and you're here to learn. And of course, ask questions and let's discuss and theorize. That's important. But when there's a difference between trying to theorize or being curious and then also delegitimizing my say or my instruction, sometimes it feels weird. Mm -hmm. And the best thing to do is just keep a cool head and be like, this is the way it is. If you want to ask more questions, we can go into that. Um, But never to take it super personally. Often women get told, no, you're not in the right place. This isn't for you. This is not a job for women. Um, These sound like phrases from the 50s and 60s and 70s, but they continue to surface. Have you heard anyone say that to you? If people say no, it's kind of like, okay, you're lost. Um, There are so many opportunities. I don't feel like discouraged by people saying no more so disappointed that it's still that like mindset is still there. Does it encourage you sometimes? Definitely encourages me to like show up guns blazing, do my homework and be a little extra prepared. If I know that that's going to be the work setting I'll, I'll be working with. I prefer not to work in that kind of work setting. Like right now I'm working with all black females on an art project. And that feels so nice. (laughs) The best thing about someone underestimating you is that when you completely surpass their expectations, they're like, whoa. (laughs) And it feels good. It's like, all right, I could probably do a less good job and still impress you, but I'm going to do the best job because that's what I do. How 
does your family feel about all this? And what was their reaction when they thought, oh my gosh, she's 13 and she's welding? <laughs> um, <laughs> and my family is fully, fully like super supportive of it. Originally, it was awesome because it was free daycare while my mom was working, you know? And then I came home with a bunch of like metal junk sculptures <laughs> and was super stoked about it. But uh, they're super proud to see me be passionate about it and to actually like that something like a random class that I got a scholarship for turned into something of a career path for me. Yeah. And something that also I feel empowered in and I feel like I can empower others in. So I think they're really proud. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. I'm curious if you feel like society sees the skilled trades, if it's undervalued, if it's perceived as less than when we sort of compare it to, oh, college education. Mm -hmm. They're often compared side by side and there's a push for college for all young people. And you are very much of age and came up in that era. Yeah. As a young person who wasn't able to go to college because of money, family, all sorts of things. I've found that my trade has actually made me more of use for jobs, but that work, unless I had a certificate, was like hard to keep, you know, like to have like a solid job just welding. And not that that's my interest is to weld on bridges and whatnot, but I think something like a pandemic will really make you realize um, essential jobs and who's still working. And it's definitely people fixing bridges, fixing roads, doctors, nurses, grocery workers, fabricating and fixing cars or machining and stuff like that. That's still going to be something that's going to be needed. And the mindset of undervaluing that because you went to trade school versus going to college is just silly because at the end of the day, physically, if you really need something done, a German literature degree is not going to get you very far. <laughs> Wait, that's what I have, Jazzy. I should have told you. No, I'm, oh. just <laughs> <laughs> I'm not far from it, but yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, they're all useful, but but they're <laughs> it is an essential work. Yeah. Like, I mean, the bridges we cross to go to, you know, our jobs, you know, those were built by people and, you know, and they put their lives at risk. Have you seen things change just in the few years you've been in as an adult? Sort of the reducing of what you were calling sort of that devaluing. It still hovers. I still see it in, you know, shared shops that I'm in or classes. But in like the past five years alone, I've seen a huge increase in femme or femme identifying people in my classes. Also in the shop spaces, I've been able to connect with other femme fabricators and learn a lot as well. Lately, I think that it's definitely changing. <laughs> Um, but also, like, I'm in I'm in the Bay Area, so I come from a different demographic of people and workspaces than some others in the U.S. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it, and I'm loving it. <laughs> Great. I'm so glad to hear that. We have a national shortage of trade workers, so I'm always curious to hear 
what other people think we can do about that. So I asked Jazzy, how can the trades do a better job inviting women and gender expansive people to pursue a career in the trades? Is it a recruiting problem? Is it a branding problem? Is it both? Jazzy has some great ideas. I think maybe just like uh, there being more money put into trade schools and also just not advertising trade schools and trade professions as a backup or something you have to do because you're less educated because you can go to college or something like that. Because skills like that take math physics, engineering, like it takes a lot of cognitive power to be able to build something and to work in a team and to also physically do it. I think that if it was introduced into schools at a younger age, as something that you could do either artistically or as a trade and that it's okay. <laughs> it's really important for that to be um, kind of a uh, brought to attention um, in art spaces, in industrial settings. I mean, it's, it's worldwide, this issue. And if we're in a place that's supposed to be progressive, then these spaces should also like adhere to their advocacy for community. And if they're going to be a part of a community, they need to be a part of every community. I got to talk to Jazzy about her big welding dreams. We need more shops run by femmes or queer and Black people because there are none of them. It's like women, queer, trans, um, by POC. I mean, I definitely feel out of place <laughs> sometimes for sure. But it's definitely something that puts a little bit of fire under me to like have a space in the future of my own collectively with other people who identify as such. So people who come in for classes or for studio space don't feel like they're either going to be tokenized or feel out of place or ridiculed or anything like that. It definitely gives me a goal of something one of the things I definitely want for the future in Oakland, especially um, my hometown. Oh, wait. Okay. Um, my boyfriend's starting to play the drums. Let me just ask him to not do that. <laughs> I heard it. I love it. I actually love that. That's I'll be great. right back. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm back. Oh, but that's like the loudest thing during like a phone interview that could happen. I that was really funny. What advice... Would you like to give young women, femme identified, either thinking about going into welding or any traits? Yeah, um, my advice would be just to not let anyone walk over you and um, to be able to tell the difference between constructive criticism and mansplaining. <laughs> Do your homework and be ready to face any challenges when in the field. Um, as femme or like femme identifying, Unfortunately, sometimes you have to put in a little extra elbow grease to gain respect. You know, many people may question your skill, strength. Don't let them. Be receptive to advice, but show up ready, guns blazing, as I probably said before. Um, <laughs> and just ready to handle like any problems that may arise. You can put a foot down. And I think that's important to know like your worth and your skill in anything and to be like, hey, I came to the table and I came prepared.
it's important to embrace femininity in your work, if that's how you identify. Don't put like your creative or tactful energy in trying to be like macho or fit in with those around you. Your strength and femininity is what gives you like that, that magical touch in your craft. It's like a very strong strength in itself. So I think it's important to like embrace that in your work. And so what I'm girly. Yeah, I'll get my fucking hands dirty and I'll get the job done. And that's all that matters is the products of my work and how I feel doing it. Thank you, Jazzy, so much for this conversation today. Thank you. I'm so appreciative of your time and your spirit <laughs> and your spark. Oh, it's a spark comment. I love it. <laughs> right on. All right. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. I have a little update about Jazzy. She's already begun laying the foundation, and if Jazzy's building it, it's surely solid. She's already got her own studio space, she's working on her portfolio, and she has projects lined up for this fall. Congrats, Jazzy. Keep rocking it. Hey, if you're interested in the industrial arts and you live in the Bay Area, be sure to check out the classes at The Crucible, found at thecrucible.org. We'll catch you next time on Thick Skin. This show was produced by me, Alicia Crawford, and original music by Eric Corson. And special thanks to Frances Maddie, my social media maven. Follow us at Thick Skin Podcast, hashtag Women Trades Podcast. That's women with an X. And extra huge thank yous go out to all of the donors who make this show possible, especially the Crawford Family Trust. Thanks for listening to Thick Skin.